Good evening, welcome, and welcome if you're joining us online. Um, Tonight we're looking at the theme of looking. And uh, there's so much in it that we could be here for a very long time. But I guess there's two things to think about. There's look and see, and also, what do I want to look at? So in our first song, we're going to be celebrating as we look and see the beauty and the wonder of what our God has made. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand has made.
Oh Lord our God, we thank you that we can pray to you. And we ask that you'll open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see things as they really are, so that we can see things as you see them. Oh Lord, as we pray that, we realise that we are so poorly equipped to come to the great and glorious God, the one who holds the oceans in his hands, the one who put every planet in its place, the one who knows everything and keeps everything going. And Lord, we know that you know us. You know every detail of our lives. And we know that you are pure and perfect and good. Oh Lord, open our eyes so that we see how you see our lives. Oh Lord, you know that we often choose to have half-open eyes, drowsy thoughts. Oh Lord, the enemy joins with our and natures in clouding our eyes and making us pretend that bad isn't really that bad and good isn't really that important. So we ask that you will open our eyes. And as you open our eyes, Lord, we thank you that we can look to Jesus. We've just been singing how you did not spare your only son and how you gave him to, up to the cross to bear the sins of everyone who trusts you. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for your son. We are sorry that our sin was so awful that he had to suffer like that. But we do thank you that you did that. And Lord, we thank you that we can be confident that everyone who turns to you is welcomed into your family, belongs to you and can look forward to that day when evil is defeated, where the devil is finally dealt with and all your children are home with you. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be looking forward to that day and living lives which are focused on building up treasure in heaven. So Lord, do help us as we continue in our worship. Amen. So tonight we have four Bible readings, and Elijah's going to do the first two of those for us. Our first reading this evening is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the second reading is Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 13. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body will be thrown to hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body going to hell. Thank you. Um, In our next song, uh, we're talking as Christians who have promised to Jesus that we will follow him. And it talks very honestly about the things that we see that dazzle us, the things that tempt us to pull away from Jesus and ask him to help us. So let's stand and sing together. Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end. Yeah.
Our next Bible reading is in John chapter 8, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Then our next reading is in Hebrews, and it's in chapter 12, and it's the first four verses. Therefore, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So John's going to be teaching us from a number of Bible passages in a little bit. But before we do that, let's pray. Oh Lord, as we come to look at the challenges that temptation brings to us, we know that we're really weak. In fact, we realise that we can't do anything. We can't even say what our plans for today are, let alone for tomorrow, because so many things come and change. But we thank you that you tell us to come to you. As children to our Father, knowing that you delight to give good gifts to your children. Oh Lord, we thank you that your word tells us that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And we pray that you will give us your Holy Spirit and that you will give us the right heart attitude to love what you love 
and to resist the devil, to see him fleeing from us. Lord, we know that he is a strong, roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. But we thank you that you're stronger. We thank you that you're mightier. And we thank you that you care for each of your children. And we do thank you that you know. Oh Lord, you know each one of us. You know those of us who are weary. Lord, do give us energy. Those of us who are lonely. Oh Lord, we pray that you will give the lonely friends and that they will know your friendship in a very special way. Oh Lord, there are others who are troubled, who are depressed, who are struggling with all sorts of different things. Oh Lord, there are those who are guilty and have not come back to you with that guilt. Oh Lord, help them to do that, knowing that if we confess our sins, that you're reliable, you're faithful and just to forgive us. And Lord, there are those looking forward to things as well. Oh Lord, we pray for our young people as they plan to go on holiday. Father, we ask that you will overrule in everything. We pray that the transport arrangements will go smoothly. We ask that those who speak your word will do so faithfully and powerfully. And pray that you will send your Holy Spirit so that this year will be known as a year where God came and God spake and God changed, changed lives. Oh Lord, we pray that the young people will be good friends to each other. We pray that the Christians will be most interested in serving you. Oh Lord, we ask for safety. We ask for a really good time. We ask for suitable weather. But most of all, Lord, we pray that lives will be changed in a way that makes a difference for eternity. Oh Lord, we thank you that your word is mighty and powerful. And we pray that you will help John as he comes to teach us from your word. And Lord, we ask that you will help us to listen with open ears, an open mind, and a heart that wants to please you by doing what your word says. Oh, we thank you that you're a God who delights in your children. We thank you that you're a God who forgives our failure, who most of all wants us to be facing you, coming to you, knowing you, loving you. Oh Lord, we beg that there will be more of that in our lives. Amen. So before John comes to speak to us, we sing in our third song a prayer that God will deal with our hearts and make it valuable in his eyes.
So we come this evening to eyes following our theme, our series of picking a biblical perspective on some of the senses. And eyes are a wonderful aspect of creation, aren't they? Uh, The seeing eye, the hearing ear, the Lord made both of them, Proverbs tells us. Whether you ever have these discussions with people, if you were to have one of the, if you could only have one of the senses, which one would you have? And for many people, they'd say, well, sight is the one that I'd keep if I lost others. It's such a a marvellous miracle, isn't it, in the Bible, when sight is restored and people can see again and see people and everything around them, the precious gift of sight. Uh, With sight we can see God's beautiful creation. Indeed, in the first chapter of the Bible we talk, we hear about what it says God saw. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. We see the beauty of God's creation around us and we, like God, can see it and see that it is very good. Maybe you have your favourite views when I go for a walk sometimes, especially in the summer months, I go behind the hoarder centre and I'm amazed at what I see as I look across the valley. And I thank God for the eyes to be able to see what feels like being on the edge of Snowdonia, the wonderful gift of sight. And we can do the same with photos, and screenshots, and we see creation and we see people. We thank God for this immense gift of sight. Yet these marvellous creations are also sometimes our downfall. They combine with bad hearts to our ruin. Significant that even in the great fall, just in Genesis chapter 3, there we go, got two slides worth tonight, I'm going to, Keep you occupied tonight, got two slides worth. Genesis 1, we looked at Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3 and verse 6, it it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. So in the great fall, It is the eyes and what goes into the eyes and what appeals to the eyes which is so significant. And that is an ongoing issue and has been ever since so that John says in his letter, 1 John 2 verses 15 to 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So our eyes, which are such a wonderful gift and can see so many lovely things, become, if you like, a gateway of enticement. 
And the importance of good eyesight is emphasised by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in some of the verses that we had read to us in Matthew 6 and verse 22. These are very significant verses for this evening. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So when your eye is on something good, it fills into your whole person and being and does it good. And when your eye is on something bad, then you get filled with darkness and it infiltrates your whole person and your heart. The importance of the eyes and what they focus on. And here, in these verses in Matthew 6, it is especially about coveting and materialism. You know that we're going on to think about some other things this evening, but this is a big one too. The, the covetous look. Jesus is talking about how our attitude is towards things and riches and things around us. The covetous look is a dangerous thing. And if our eyes get taken up with all lots of extra stuff, and if we pour over catalogues for things that we don't need, and we survey, surf the internet over things which are unnecessary for us, or, or get carried away around the shops, or we look at other people's things and we want them desperately for ourselves, and we have a stirred up discontentment and dissatisfaction and an endless appetite, a covetous look, then that is filling us with bad stuff. And it won't help us in our relationship with God. You know, we're coming on to other things later. Maybe that or not an issue for you, but maybe you need to have a check and a think about this side of things, a covetous look, a bad use of the eyes. But there is another mention earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's going to be our springboard for what we think of this evening. It was read to us, and it is Matthew 5, 27 and 28. And it is about the immoral look. Let me read those two verses again. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is showing in his teaching how in his kingdom... Teaching goes into the heart and is concerned about the heart, not just the outward. So being pure is not just about not sleeping with someone. It is also about your thought life, the Bible says. It's a a deeper purity that Jesus is concerned about and that we've been singing about. Purify my heart. And perhaps whilst many can say that they've kept the outward command of not committing adultery or sexual immorality, I expect there are very few who that can say that they have consistently and always kept it in their heart. And yet, plainly in the teaching of Jesus, it is very serious. 
is often where outward immorality begins. You think of the very sad chapter in the Bible, 2 Samuel 11, where David sees Bathsheba. But his look, his look lingers, and he acts on that linger, and he calls her, and he commits an outward act of adultery, which causes immense damage in the life of the kingdom for many years to come. But it starts with what he saw, and with how he reacted to what he saw. So it often leads on to other things, but Jesus makes clear that the lustful look in itself is wrong. Now let's be clear, it's not wrong to acknowledge that a woman is attractive or beautiful. The Bible does. Sarah, Rachel, Abigail, Job's daughters, Tamar are all described as beautiful or attractive. It's not wrong to recognise that. It's not wrong to recognise that a chap is good looking. Joseph, David, Saul and Absalom are all described as handsome. But it's when it goes further, when the thought is entertained, when it's combined with wrong thoughts and lust. Somebody has said, you can't stop a bird flying over your head but you can stop it nesting in your hair. There will be birds flying over your head in terms of attractive scenes, people that are are good looking, but it's, it's when they stay in your hair, you let them stay in your mind, you do wrong things with it, that it is wrong in what Jesus teaches when there is fantasizing, when there is an impure heart, when there is an entertaining of the thought. And this, this applies to, to life in general. This is uh, uh, it's a big issue for us. Perhaps it's a particularly big issue as you go to the summer and people are inevitably wearing less. There is a need to guard thoughts and hearts. It applies to what we watch. Many TV shows or films are very steamy, seductive. People will vary. But I find there are some shows which are, if you like, popular mainstream TV shows, which lots of people talk about, which I know I can't watch. I don't feel it's right for me to watch. We need to be careful what we watch and what goes into our mind and what it does to us. There may be times when you are watching news or an advert or an otherwise good film or TV show and you find you have to deliberately look at the carpet until you know a certain scene has gone. We need to take seriously the teaching of Jesus as we go about and in terms of our watching habits. But especially today, uh, this time, this era, this is particularly relevant, I feel, because of the availability of porn. In the past, to feed on such immoral images, people would have to take some action, they'd have to go out of their way, they'd have to go to the newsagent, they'd have to share some embarrassment in what they bought from the top shelf. 
But now it is readily available on computers and even more privately on mobiles. So we think about this this evening. And I'm certainly not raising it to give you ideas. Perish the thought. Don't use that argument. Don't let the devil deceive you in that way. I'm raising it this evening so that those for whom it is not a snare at all are warned not to touch it with a barge pole. I'm raising it this evening so that those who have no intention of pursuing watching unhelpful immoral images, when they see an enticing image, quickly divert and don't click on the image. I'm raising it this evening so that those who have dabbled backtrack quickly. I'm raising it this evening so that those who are regularly drawn in face the facts and take action. I'm raising it this evening for those who feel so helpless and ashamed because of their failures that they might find help in the Gospel. Now, there are a number of resources which are available to help. Um, We've put those on the bulletin. So, if you go on the Forest Fold website, you can use computers for good things. You can go to the Forest Fold website. You can go on the bulletin and there, there will be two books and there will be three websites which are linked there. Well, not necessarily linked, but advertised there. And they can be a big help to you. And you can do that privately afterwards and look up for them and there might be some more help available through them. There are lots of statistics. It's a job to get your mind around all of these statistics. Um, There are floods of them. But just to show the seriousness of the problem, here's a few. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. This is an American figure. About a third of all internet use is for pornographic purposes. It almost makes you want to cry, doesn't it, some of these figures. 50% of teens search out porn at least monthly, according to Covenant Eyes. The British Board of Film Classification warns that the majority of kids are exposed to porn by age 13, with some exposed as young as 7. Are churches exempt? Well, we hope it's less prevalent but the US Covenant Eyes website, and I imagine in the US people sign up to being Christian as a name, probably more frequent than here, but according to that website and the information it had, 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. So you see, it's a massive problem. It is a plague in our society, made easier by the internet, even more accessed by the young, Christians are not exempt, females are not exempt. Which is why we're looking at the issue this evening. And pornographic material can be images, it can be film, it can be written accounts as well. And that is sometimes a much bigger temptation for females, though not the only temptation. But the teaching of Jesus is not for content for that to be part of our lives. Let me read on. 
Matthew 5.29 If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. He's not literally saying gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. It's it's, it's pictorial language, but it, it is showing the seriousness of taking action that we should get rid of these things out of our lives. Jesus is not content for them to be part of the life of the people of his kingdom, his followers. So what, what help is there? What help is there? Well, what can I pass on from the Bible this evening which may be useful? Well, it's a big issue. It's delicate, um, sensitive, serious, a whole range of things not been the easiest message to approach, as you can guess. But I've got quite a lot to say, and I've got six points which I want to say this evening, which I hope will help. Um, there are different references f- for them. As we go through the slide, I've just put one reference on each point, but there are others. So what are these points from the Bible that will help us in facing this issue? The first, wake up to the damage. Wake up to the damage. Proverbs deals uh, repeatedly with the danger of immorality. Just look at chapter 5, 6 and 7 Proverbs. Repeatedly, the danger of immorality. And in it, the father, the wise father, continually tries to wake up his son to the real dangers of immorality. Proverbs 5, verse 3. For the lips, see how enticing it is, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to the grave. Wake up to the danger. And we need to do the same for immoral viewing. One of the books by Tim Chester that I've put on there, it lists um, 12 reasons near the start to give up porn. I'll read through them quickly. You you won't have a chance to write them down just to fulfil the this type of arguments. Porn wrecks your view of sex. Porn wrecks your view of women. Porn wrecks women's view of themselves. The porn industry abuses women. Porn is a sin against your wife. So this is primarily talking about men, obviously, and what they view. Porn is a sin against your wife. Porn wrecks families. Porn is enslaving. Porn erodes your character. Porn wastes your time, energy and money. Porn weakens your relationship with God. Porn weakens your service. God's wrath is against porn. 
And that part of the book is trying to develop an abhorrence against porn. Key thing for us today, develop an abhorrence of what is so widely available and so widely accepted. As part of that, I think we need to wake up to the damage it does to those involved with the industry. Another of the books, which is is a different sort of way in on things, but uh, is helpful, The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity, Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortland. And uh, in his second chapter, he starts it in this way, which I found quite moving. He's really talking about the fact that a woman is made in the image of God and therefore has a dignity, a royalty, he calls it. Also, he draws on the fact that in 1 Timothy 5, it talks about how we should see um, younger women as sisters with all purity. And he says this, Dear son, he writes his letters, She matters too. She matters more than you know. That girl, that woman, the one on the porn site, she isn't just pixels on the screen. She's real. Somewhere right now she's out there trying to get by. I bet you any amount of money she didn't volunteer for porn, she was degraded and abused into it. And that precious woman has hopes and feelings and longings and sorrows just like you. She is as human as you are, as worthy as you are, as royal as you are. In this letter I have some hard things to say, but here's where I'm going. I'm asking you to change how you see that woman on the porn site. I'm not asking you to make anything up. I'm only asking that you accept her the way God sees her. He is on her side. He is indignant at the way she is objectified, monetized, and mistreated. Wake up to the damage. Secondly, steer away from temptation. Now, temptation is very strong for some in this area. And it is not to be played with. It is not to be enjoyed. It is to be avoided, to be steered away from. We're finding that there's a lot in Proverbs 5. Let me go on to verses 7 to 8, where the son says now, And now, O sons, Listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. So if you're tempted by immorality, you you walk home a different way is what he's saying. You avoid temptation. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18, we're told to flee sexual immorality. Joseph does it with wonderful decisiveness and courage, doesn't he? When Potiphar makes her advance to him and he flees off. And maybe there are situations, opportunities that you know might draw you in. And so you need to avoid them. A safe search setting on your internet search would be a good start. It will mean that you won't inadvertently come up with videos and clips and pictures when you're looking for something perfectly innocent. Put a, put a filter on, just 
go to your settings on your search engine and make them safe search or strict search or whatever it is. Avoiding programs or books that you know you can't handle in a pure way. Maybe there are times of day or, or, or moods that you have that you know make you specially vulnerable and need guarding against. Maybe you leave your phone downstairs at night. Maybe you contact a friend when you're especially vulnerable. Avoid the doorway of her house. Steer away from temptation. Don't make life difficult for yourself by allowing these things to be in front of you. Steer away from temptation. Make a deal with your eyes. Make a deal with your eyes. Uh, one of the main websites that has helped many is called Covenant Eyes. Well, you think, well, that's a, a, a strange title. It's, it's, it's got a, a lot of helpful podcasts and it refers to different books. It's got some software available which you can buy through it as well. Where do they get this name from? Covenant Eyes. From Job. Job is a bit of a, a hero on this front. Job 31 and verse 3. Job is telling God of his innocence and his righteousness in his situation. And as part of it, he says this in verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Or another translation has it, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. See, even Old Testament characters are concerned about the heart. Lord, I've made a deal with my eyes. Eyes, you're not to look at something immoral. Eyes, you're not to look again when you see something which might tempt you. Eyes, you're not to linger. He's made a covenant, agreement, a deal with his eyes. When something too attractive for you to handle comes along, Eyes, you look elsewhere. Okay, guys, you look elsewhere. I'm committed to following the Lord. My loyalty is with the Lord. When something clicks up on my computer which looks unsavoury, eyes, you're not to tell the hand to click yes and go through that image. You have to go onto another page, get rid of it, get clear. I've made an agreement with my eyes. A fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And the Spirit helps in this area. And we need his help in this area. So let your loyalty to the Lord be in control, not your, your eyes. Don't let the lamp of your eyes focus on what is immoral. Let it focus on what is good. So make a deal with your eyes. Fourthly, courageously get support. Courageously get support. Defeating pornography for, for many 
is a team sport rather than an individual sport. Especially where the habits are ingrained. So as you read, as you pray, as you seek God's help to be pure, it may prove really helpful to have someone else alongside you in that battle. We are told to bear one another's burdens and so fulfil the law of Christ. In James 5 and verse 16 it says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's a, a lot around that passage in James 5 which is a bit involved, I can't go into now. Confessing to one another. Well, you have to confess to others when you have done them wrong and you apologise, so it certainly means that. But many take it to mean, uh, to apply in a wider way, that is, in seeking to get rid of sin of our, our lives, we confess to another person who may be able to help us in the battle. And that often proves useful where this has become ingrained. Telling a trusted Christian friend can be a real help. It can be a massive thing, that's why I called it courageously, get support, but it can be a real help. That openness, that mutual encouragement, that challenge and concern that comes from uh, the trusted brother or if you're a lady, a trusted sister, can be such a help in this battle. And so if it is an ingrained uh, sinful struggle for you, I would encourage you to think seriously about finding a trusted, reliable, sensitive, wise Christian friend uh, to, to share the problem with. And I'd encourage you to think of doing that perhaps before the month's out. Got two weeks before the month's out. Pray over who would be a wise, trusted Christian friend to help you in that area of purity. And one of the ways in which they can help is the area of accountability, or being an accountability partner, it's called. So Covenant Eyes has software, so whatever you look at on your internet searches and in your internet times, it gets relayed to a friend so that they have a, a track record of what you've been looking at. And if you look at things which are improbable, it will flag up on this accountability package. I've acted as an accountability partner for a friend in the past. It can be a useful thing for those who have these real struggles to, to help them to be pure as they are wanting to be pure. But I go a bit further for situations perhaps where issues like this are very deep-seated and immoral viewing patterns are very, very ingrained. There are organisations and people that can help. Because when really um, involved patterns of sinful behaviour like this are entered into and established, it becomes an addiction there are even 
chemical effects in the brain as to all that's going on. At a pastoral refreshment uh, conference that Esther and I uh, went to earlier in the year, we met again John uh, Childress and his wife Sally and we found out about their ministry and their work. I have heard of it before. But John's uh, ministry, his charity that they set up, which is called Free Recovery, um, is especially for those who have problems of addiction and particularly in the area of pornography. It was a snare to him in the past and so now he has a ministry helping those for whom it has become a snare. The charity is endorsed by Rico Tice because they used to be based and work at All Souls in London. Free recovery is one of the resources on the website. There's another one called Set Captive 3, which is American. I know less about it, but enough to feel that it would be useful. Courageously get support. Well, maybe so much of this is totally irrelevant to you, but it may become relevant to others that you are seeking to help or that you need to be aware of. We can move on to something perhaps a little bit more encouraging. The fifth thing to say this evening is drink in the gospel. Drink in the gospel. At one time in the past, I had a, a, quite a conversation with uh, someone who had um, been giving way to porn viewing. Uh, there was obvious repentance and pain at uh, the, the sinful pattern which had established and the, the damage that it had caused. And uh, as I listened and as we then talked, I couldn't help thinking of the passage that we read in John chapter 8. And I quoted it to the person and I want to quote to you especially verse 11 now. John 8 and verse 11. Jesus said to the woman, convicted of adultery, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The lady had committed adultery. It was very wrong, clearly, by the word of God. It's better cost a lot of cause lots of damage. You know the account, one by one, they drop their stones as they realise their own sinfulness. And the words of Jesus, how, how can he say this? Neither do I condemn you. The Holy Son of God, before somebody who had been involved with that, and he says, neither do I condemn you. Amazing, isn't it? Music to our ears. No condemnation. There's a second half to it. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There is forgiveness for these sins. Some are blasé and are not too worried about the sorts of things I'm talking about this evening. But others are chronically racked with guilt. 
they feel so painfully their failure and their repeated failure. Satan taunts them by their failure in this area. And to those who repent, the words of Jesus are just so wonderful. Neither do I condemn you. There is cleansing. There is forgiveness. There's justification. There's reconciliation with God. Can be washed away. Neither do I condemn you, says Jesus. But it's clearly with a determination to go forward in a very different pattern. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Now I know we take uh, website testimonials with a little bit of a pinch of salt there, a marketing technique. Uh, But there are many accounts on the, the websites that you refer to, or I refer to, of people who have been able to get clear of this sort of problem. Here's some of the setting captives free testimonials. I, I, I read them to encourage you. Garrett writes, I recommend the Purity Boot Camp. That's one of these American sort of programs. The Purity Boot Camp course. It is awesome and the best thing I have done, I have gone 30 days without looking at pornography, which is the longest I have ever gone. Candice writes, if you are struggling with sexual impurity, no matter your background or how hopeless you feel, you must take this course. There is hope for everyone in Christ Jesus. For the first time in my life, I can finally say that I'm free. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'll give you one more. John writes, I found the Setting Captives Free Purity Boot Camp course when I was desperately seeking help from impurity and sexual sin. God has been transforming my heart over the last 30 days. I am grateful for this ministry and for the many people who are serving our Saviour through mentoring in it. God is restoring my marriage. I am finding new truths in his word and he is killing the impure desires that have always been part of my life. Now, coming out of deeply ingrained sinful patterns like this is not easy and there will be ups and downs. But there is hope with the Gospel. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I thought of this. You know the, old, the advert, Optrex, what a sight for sore eyes. Optrex, what a sight for sore eyes. The Gospel, what a sight for impure eyes. The Gospel, what a sight for impure eyes. Then the last matter, look in a better direction. Look in a better direction. Now for some, part of that may be their wife or their husband. I love the way God describes Ezekiel's wife in Ezekiel 24 and verse 6. The Lord calls her the delight of your eyes. The few verses are sad. She's not going to live so long. But I love that phrase, the delight of your eyes. I don't expect she was young. She wasn't in the flower of youth. But she was the delight of Ezekiel's eyes. Make your wife your husband, the delight of your eyes. 
Don't expect her or him to compete with those hand-picked to generate lots of income for the porn industry. But learn afresh to delight in them. Invest effort in them. Notice the God-given beauty that God has given them. Notice the beautiful character that God has given them. Let them be the delight of your eyes. Look in a better direction. Proverbs 5 again feeds into this. You might be surprised at these verses, but they are here in the Bible, speaking into the danger of immorality. Verse 18, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So part of that, looking in a better direction, your husband, your wife, to be the delight of your eyes. But you say, I'm single. Or my marriage is so difficult that this sort of thing, what you're talking about, just doesn't seem to be realistic. Well, there's another aspect, an even more important aspect, which is for all in avoiding these sorts of sad pitfalls. Be taken up with Jesus. Be taken up with Jesus, who he is, what he has done, his attitude towards you. Uh, Tim Chester's book is called, very helpfully, Captured by a Better Vision. The things that deep down are sometimes being um, met or sought to be met, superficially met, enslavingly met, are things like love and intimacy and belonging and significance and worth and, and companionship. And these things are properly and rightly and fully satisfied mostly by Jesus Christ. Look in a better direction. We read Hebrews 12. That involves looking. And it involves the battle of sin, but looking in a direction that will help. Let me encourage you to look in a better direction than these impure directions. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look to him, be captured by a better vision, and these enslaving, enticing, sinful images. And you may have come across uh, the story of the sirens in Greek mythology. I know nothing about Greek mythology, and I only know about the sirens, which I've picked up from trying to read it. So if you're a, you know, if you've studied classics or whatever at university, just realise this is an amateur's attempt to sort of summarise something. But you'll get the gist. Uh, the sirens were creatures on an island. They were ladies that sung a beautiful song and as the ships came past, they enticed the ships with their beautiful songs because the people on the ships wanted to hear them better and better until they got closer and they crashed on the rocks and went to ruin. 
entice me. Well, apparently Odysseus, in in an attempt to make sure that that didn't happen to his ship, his ship, uh, put uh, wax in the ears of his um, of his sailors, and he asked them to tie himself to the mast so that he couldn't steer towards the island. And maybe, maybe that went so far, and maybe that was a help, a place of self-control and avoiding temptation. But Argonaut sailed, and he sailed in the direction. And what he did was he had his own singer, a beautiful singer, Orpheus. And him and all those on the ship were so taken up with the singing of Orpheus that they couldn't even hear the sound of the sirens trying to entice them to the rocks. And that's where we end really this evening. Look in a better direction. Look for the satisfaction of those deep needs which have been so horribly ugly, so damagingly misdirected into these horrible directions. Let them instead be realigned and recalibrated where they need to be for us, which is in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his love, his security, his companionship, his regard, his attention. Be captured by a better vision. I've kept you quite long this evening. There's a lot that we wanted to cover. wanted to look at eyes in general, but I really did want to give some biblical help to this matter. We're going to sing our last song, which is a song which draws us to Jesus. Uh, it draws us to the forgiveness and satisfaction which comes through him and his gospel. Come to the waters, whoever is thirsty, drink from the fountain that never runs dry. Jesus, the living one, offers you mercy, life more abundant in boundless supply.
Oh Lord, we've covered much this evening as we thought of different aspects of sight and especially this particular issue. Do use what we have looked at in your word for our blessing, for our rescue, for our holiness, for our comfort, for our usefulness to others. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.